Our Old Testament reading today comes from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord, the test of Abraham. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they had come to the place that God had shown them, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh Lord, use your servants' lips and your people's ears and hearts that they may be wed, that the seed of your word might be planted and brought forth with a resurrection joy. Amen. And amen. It is the test, it is the great test of Abraham's life. It is the test to see how far his trust in God goes. We're all tested, sometimes in very small ways, sometimes in large ways. 
The story goes that Frog baked a whole bunch of chocolate chip cookies and he put in extra chocolate chips and he went over to meet Toad. Toad said, I will gladly have some of those. And he took three and Frog ate three and Frog and Toad had a good time together. Toad said, how about some milk? Frog said, that sounds nice. And he took two more cookies, and Toad took two more cookies. And after a while, Toad said, you know, if we don't stop eating these cookies, we're going to make ourselves sick. We should stop soon, said Frog, after we have three more each. Toad said, we've got to stop this. I have an idea. And so he brought in a box And he put the cookies in the box, and he said, Now we can't eat the cookies. Frog said, I have problems with your logic, because it seems to me that I could open the box and eat the cookies. Toad said, Well, I'll make it even more difficult. And he got a piece of string, and he tied the string around the box. Frog said, I have a pair of scissors and I can cut your string, and I can open the box, and I can eat the cookies. Toad said, well, I will take a ladder. And he took the box that was tied with the string, and he placed it up on top of the cabinets in the kitchen. Frog said, I saw where you got the ladder from. And if I really want cookies, I can take the ladder, cut the string, open the box, and I can have more cookies. Toad said, well, it's all about willpower at this point. And he got the box, and he untied it, and he opened the box, and he took all of the remaining cookies and threw them out into the yard and said, the birds can now have the remainder of the cookies. Frog said, you can talk about willpower all you want. I'm going back home to make a cake. I don't know about you all, but I I read this past week that the average person over quarantine has gained about 15 pounds. And there was a point where I was up 15 pounds during quarantine, and then I decided to watch what I was going to eat for a little while, and uh, I'm, I'm now only up 10. Didn't do me a whole lot of good because it's summertime and my shorts won't fit anymore. Uh, Father's Day came and I was given larger shorts so I don't have to worry about those 10 pounds anymore. There are tests that we go through and sometimes we can muster up the willpower to do what we have to do. But sometimes the tests that we go through are serious Sometimes they are existential. Sometimes they strike at the core of who we are and who God is calling us to be. And throughout the Bible, there are tests. There are primarily four different tests in the Bible that are big deal kinds of tests. The first is in the very first three chapters of Genesis. There's a test God has given the man and the woman free reign of the garden and said only, only of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Of all of the trees in the garden, they could have 
everything they wanted except for the one. It was, in fact, a test. Would they obey God or not? Would God's will for their lives be that which unfolded or not? And you and I know that in the first three chapters of Genesis, as humanity faces a test, humanity fails. Then here we have the test of Abraham. Now the test of Abraham is an intriguing test because the promise that God has given to Abraham relies on there being a child. To begin with, Abraham says, well, I don't have a child, so, so one of the servants who's born in my house can, can become the child through whom the promise will take place. God says, no, it's not that child through whom the promise will take place. Abraham and Sarah are old. They're too old to have children. And they devise a plan wherein another, another child will be used to be the child of blessing. And so Hagar and Abraham have Ishmael. Oh, that Ishmael may live in your sight, Abraham says. And God says, I will bless Ishmael. But Ishmael is not the child through whom the blessing will come. And finally, old Abraham and old Sarah have this child, this child called laughter. The age when they might have been grandparents or great-grandparents or even great-great-grandparents, here they are and they name their child laughter. Melinda and I learned recently that we will be grandparents at some time. I am way too young to be a grandfather, but I'm not way too young to be a grandfather. It's only, only in my mind, but I can only imagine if I were Abraham and Sarah's age and learned that I was going to become a parent, I'd probably want to name my child Laughter also. Another test comes in the book of Job. Job is tested. Now, you have to understand this internal dialogue that takes place within the Bible between positive kinds of wisdom like the book of Proverbs and skeptical kinds of wisdom like the books of Job and Ecclesiastes. Proverbs is really optimistic about the world. If you do the right thing, if you live the right way, God will bless you with long life and God will bless you abundantly with stuff. If you live the wrong way, then who knows what's going to happen to you. There will be disaster after disaster. But the book of Job is more complicated than that because the book of Job presents this disaster that has befallen a man not because he has done wickedness, but because he has lived well. Not because he has turned his back on God, but precisely because he has honored God with his whole life. Job passes the test. In the Gospels, after Jesus is baptized, immediately the Spirit drives him into the wilderness. Now, the wilderness is not necessarily a place you want to live. Those 40 years when the Israelites wandered through the wilderness, 
that was an interim time. That was an in-between time. The wilderness is not necessarily a place you want to live, but it certainly is a place where God can meet you and where when you have the kind of tumult that comes in human hearts sometimes, the wilderness is the place that you can go. Jesus in the wilderness is tempted by the devil. He's tempted to meet his physical needs. You hungry? Take those stones there. They can become bread. He's tempted to have a kind of exhibitionistic ministry where, where wonders and signs characterize it. Uh, throw yourself off from this temple. The angels will come and take you. He's tempted to want the world's honor when the tempter says to him, bow down to me and all of these I will give to you. Get away from me, Satan, Jesus says. And he passes the test. There are very human responses to this testing that we go through, and some of our tests are, are tests of character that, that in the end only we and God know about, but some of our tests are tests of character that, that play out in a public kind of way, and there are a couple of ways that we can respond. One is, is failure, defiance. We know God wants something from us, and we defy God's intentions for our lives. Just like the couple in the garden, we know what God requires of us and we turn our backs and do something else. But the Bible also offers us in Job, in Abraham, in Jesus, this vision of success which is obedience to the call of God, which is integrity, which is strength under pressure, which is, which is being put under pressure but not breaking. Not breaking. And so the question becomes, how will God fulfill His promises when all seems lost? Now understand here what Abraham's facing. Abraham ha has tried God has, God has shown him that he is going to be the father of multitudes, that he is going to have offspring that will bless all of the nations of the world, and it's not going to be his servant, and it's not going to be Ishmael. It's going to be Isaac. If you read the book of Genesis from chapter 12 on, though, you see how Threat after threat after threat comes to that promise. One of the first things that happens is there's a famine in the land. The famine threatens the promise because if you can't eat, you can't live. And so Sarah and Abraham go down to Egypt, at which point Abraham says, Sarah, do me a favor and say you're my sister so that people won't, won't harass me because of your great beauty. There's a threat as Sarah is taken into Pharaoh's harem. 
And God has to rescue Sarah so that Abraham and Sarah can come back together and, and have this child of the promise. There's a threat because there's no child. Well, what are we going to do? We've got this promise. Year after year, we've lived with this promise, but there's no child. And first of all, Abraham says, I'll try to do it legally. I'll adopt one of my servants as my child. Then he and Sarah hatch a plan where Abraham and Hagar have a child together. And God says, no, no, forget about these threats. You're going to have a child. There's a rivalry after Isaac and Ishmael are born. Isaac and Ishmael are are at each other's throats. Sarah says, I can't have this anymore. You're going to have to do something about this, Abraham. And Ishmael and Hagar are sent away so that this threat to the promise will go away. And then, if things happen once, sometimes they happen again. The greatest predictor of human behavior is past human behavior. Later on, they end up in Gerar, and Abraham says again to Sarah, by the way, do me a favor and pretend that you're my sister again. And yet another threat to the promise comes to pass. But the final threat, the final threat comes from God himself. Abraham, Abraham, Take your child, the child of the promise, the child that you love, and offer him up as a sacrifice at the place where I will show you. The command of God himself is the final threat to the promise to Abraham. Now, most people who study this stuff say that the Pentateuch was, was put together in its final form during the exile. The exile 586 plus 80 years plus, plus another 30 or 40 years to get... This. So we're, we're talking about between 586 B.C. and 400 B.C. 450 B.C., somewhere in that range when the people of Israel had been forced out of Jerusalem, had left the temple smoldering after it had been destroyed and burned, and here they were in a foreign land, wondering how on earth God could keep his promise to David that he would always have a son on the throne of Judah wondering how God could keep his promise to Abraham that he could have children that would bless the world forever. It must have seemed a lot like Abraham being tested with Isaac for those people who had lost everything. There's a sense in which you could say that Jewish life was centered around three things. The temple where worship took place, the territory, the land of Israel which was given, and the Torah, the book of the law around which life was centered. But in the exile, 
The temple had been destroyed. The people had been taken out of the territory and relocated to another empire altogether. And all they had left was the promises of God. All they had left was this awareness that God had spoken and that God in some way had this relationship with His people. So the final form of this, of this writing may well have taken shape at a time when, when God's people were wondering, how do the dead come back to life? How does a promise that is threatened continue to occur? In one sense... This story is told so that we will know that even though all of the people around Israel practiced child sacrifice, the God of Israel would never require of His people the sacrifice of a child. But the test is deeper. Look at what Abraham says in 22.5. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and the boy and I will go over there and we will worship and then we will come back to you. Maybe Abraham knows God well enough to wonder if God will let him go through with it. Or maybe Abraham wants to hide from his servants what he plans to do. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. And then Isaac notices that something isn't right. Isaac said to his father Abraham, Father? Abraham said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Look at Abraham's answer. Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And consider the two ways that you can read that. You can read that as a, as a statement of hope, once again, that Abraham can't believe that God is going to let him go through with it, and he has this faith that somehow God is going to provide, but you can also read it as Abraham telling Isaac exactly what will happen. God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. My son is the lamb. And so the two of them walked on together. As they walk on, you can, you can see, you can feel Abraham as the tension rises, as he binds Isaac, who is the perfect obedient child, this old man tying him up and placing him on the kindling, this old man raising a knife. Abraham, Abraham, he hears. Here I am, Lord, says Abraham. 
Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now, if you've got your Bible, there are a couple of things in here, and and I will admit I'm becoming a grandfather, so apparently things happen to you when that happens. Like you can't see without reading glasses. I encounter things sometimes, and I look, are those words? And then I put on my glasses, why, yes, they are. I certainly wouldn't have known had I not put my glasses on. If you've got your Bibles, though, you will see that that when Abraham is talking about God's provision, there's a little A there, or B, or C, or one, two, or there's, there's some kind of mark, and you will see that as Abraham looks and sees the ram caught in the thicket, he takes the ram and offers it up, and then in verse 14, Abraham calls that place, the Lord will provide. That's where you probably have a a small footnote. And the footnote will say, or, it may be translated, the Lord will see. Those of you who are into the names of God, Jehovah Jireh, uh, the Lord, my provider, the Lord, the provider. But in fact, the verb Jireh, which is Yireh in Hebrew, doesn't usually mean provide. It's the basic verb that means to see. The Lord will see. And then later on in verse 14, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. You've got the little tiny note that unless you've got your glasses on you might miss. The alternate translation there is on the mount of the Lord He shall be seen. So ultimately this test is a test about seeing and being seen. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The most natural translation is this. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will see. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, he shall be seen. Dear friends, God sees at the place of obedience, that difficult obedience when every atom in your body, every cell in your body wants to defy God, but you obey, God sees. And in the place where God sees... God also reveals himself. When you step out in obedience to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God knows the difficulty that you encounter. And at that place of obedience, God reveals himself. Now, an interesting note here is that... uh, If you look at the planet, 
This great big marble that we live on, there's Africa, and then you see over here uh, the Arabian Peninsula, and you see the Mediterranean Sea. Now let's zoom in a little bit, and the Mediterranean Sea is over here. This is the Dead Sea, Sea of Galilee. Now where we're going to zoom next is a very small very small area right to the left of the Dead Sea. This is the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount, this almost football-sized, football uh, field-sized place up here where sometimes you can go and sometimes you can't. Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is where Abraham took Isaac. Where God saw that Abraham took Isaac. And where God revealed himself to Abraham as a God who would never require human sacrifice. So if you turn to the west from Mount Moriah and go just about right here. You'll find what is today the Church of the Holy Sepulchre which contains the tomb of Jesus but it's a big enough church that it also contains the traditional spot where Jesus' crucifixion took place. So We have here within a stone's throw on this huge planet, we have here this great big world, this small patch of land about the size of New Jersey, and this circle right here where Abraham brings Isaac and God provides the ram where for century after century on this spot the Jewish people offered sacrifices and where the year 33 AD plus or minus God provides the ultimate lamb. God offers himself in perfect obedience and reveals himself to the world. Dear friends, I don't know what the challenges that you face might be, but in obedience, God will see. And in your obedience, God will be made known to you. I don't know whether you've failed in the past, and if you have, I don't know how spectacularly you have failed in the past. But, dear friends, the lamb has been provided. Right there, the same area that Abraham and Isaac walked up to, God himself has provided the sacrifice that brings forgiveness and pardon to you and to me. God sees. 
God reveals himself. And God is made known in Jesus of Nazareth. The Alpha, the Omega, the first, the last, the beginning, the end, the sacrifice that brings us life. Go today knowing that you are seen and that by God's grace, God will reveal himself to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.